The following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Littlejohn and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, all right, gang. It is that time again. It is your favorite Tuesday you've had all day. And uh, probably one of the favorite days ending in Y. Uh, so we're glad to have you here. I am your host, David Littlejohn. Thanks for tuning into the True Wealth Radio Show. Uh, not in studio today, Miss Katie Shook, uh, for a number of reasons. But the good news is there's a silver lining. It's uh, so uh, she is. Uh, she'll be joining us, I'm sure, again next week. But uh, she had some family obligations, and uh, so yeah, that is the story. Which means you're stuck with me. Now the good news is. I have been chewing gum. I've got my hair done, so my voice looks really good, right? Uh, it is ready to go, and we are ready to have some fun. And I've got a pinch hitter with me in studio today, one of our favorites on air, and probably the uh, certainly some of the best stories I've ever heard coming from Ameritidal, my good buddy, Barry Robinson. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, David. Thrilled to be here. Awesome. So, you know, we did a ton of pre-show planning today, right? An absolute uh, ton. Yeah, that's. Uh, let's just go with that. And we are so prepared. Really, really. Uh, I will say there's much going on, and this is one that I really enjoy. Today, I have kind of a theme that is a... F- so the reason it's fun for me... Oh, here comes... Do, do the mics need to be hotter? Oh, you. Oh, maybe let's try that one. I got you on... Let's see there. Now we'll see. We got Now, Barry, you can announce that you're here again. I'm thrilled to be here. Yay, you did it. <laughs> I think we had probably the wrong mic. So now we got all three mics hot and... Uh, Whoever comes in to join us in the future, the ghost, we're ready. Ghost. We're ready. So don't turn your head that way if you have to sneeze or something, because it's they're yeah, still going to know. Pick up, pick it exactly. up. Exactly. All right. So anyway, here's the topic that'll be fun for you because uh, you have uh, we we have lots of conversations about this on the side, and that is you know what's kind of weird in the world? It's not the stock market right now, other than it just keeps going up. Okay, that is correct. A lot of momentum behind this market right now. This is what I'm going to say about that. Momentum mixed with fear is actually a great recipe. Right? Just repeat that with me, internalize it a little bit. Momentum mixed with fear is a great recipe. Why do I say that? And the you know, for all of you out there listening, it's like, well, why does he say that? And I'm uh, shaking my head in agreement. Yes, so he's not. Like, that, that sounds actually he's looking at me like this, like, I don't know where you're going with this, man. <laughs> uh, when everybody's in agreement, those are the dangerous times. One of my favorite quotes about investing ever comes from Warren Buffett. And he says, you should be fearful when people are greedy and greedy when people are fearful. Yes. So right now, there's still a fair number of people that are afraid, right? We have the coronavirus as, as a big unknown out there. We have still a lot of unknowns for trade policy and the, the tariff wars going on with China. And interesting double whammy there, right? Because coronavirus's epicenter is in uh, China. And then we've got locally here, the, the reports are, well, are they good? Or are they not good? You know, we have the, the job report, it beats, beat estimates, but unemployment still went up, 
right? And so we get sort of a mixed bag. And what about Europe? And what about their interest rates? And, and then, of course, we have the really big elephant in the room that I'm not going to talk about quite yet, okay? But we have all of these issues that create a lot of questions about the market. What I will say I'm hearing more and more, and Barry, correct me if you've heard something else, but I'm hearing more and more people saying, commenting on how strong the economy is. I hear that every day. Right? So, boy, the economy's strong. And that's a great sign, but that's also a warning sign to me. When everybody starts to feel like the trees are only going to get taller, right? That there's just, it grows to the sky, it's unlimited, nothing but golden tickets for everybody. And I think, okay, we might be getting a little bit exuberant here. Right. Optimism is a wonderful thing. And belief is a wonderful thing. And if you feel good about something, you'll probably do more of it. Yep. So you can create your own destiny, so to speak, but you cannot be. Well, I like to say optimism is great as long as it is sort of walking hand in hand with realism. Exactly. Okay. Uh, so that's not a pessimist. It's not like you have to be optimistic or pessimistic. Uh, I tell I people I tell people all the time. My clients do not pay me to be an optimist or a pessimist. They pay me to be a realist, and that's some of what I want to talk to about today. We're going to talk a little bit about the third rail. The th- there are a handful of things you're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table, and we're going to cover one of them today. Okay. No, not that one. That's the interesting one. But but that's for late <laughs> nights. We're going to talk a little bit about the political landscape today. Now, Barry, I know you're well equipped for this one, and we're not picking a side per se. Now, that being said, full disclosure, people know that by and large, I lean right. I mean, I do, but I try to play fair in the analysis here, and that's what I want for today is I want us to try to play fair and not be an optimist or a pessimist, not pick a home team or an away team or whatever you may want to call it. But instead, let's look at the backdrop and what's going on. And what does that mean for us as investors? Okay. Now, Barry, just for everybody's benefit, you are at Ameritidal, right? And your role there is? I'm the general manager. Right. So you've seen, I mean, you're seeing a lot of transactions right now. Yeah. Our new order count this month and last month is phenomenal. Okay, so strong. When did when did the sale? Okay, in every type of deal, because that's what I was going to ask. Is based on that? I mean, I feel like you're somebody who has a pulse, a finger on the pulse. Rather, you have a pulse. Good, (laughs) (laughs) but you have a finger on the pulse of the economy in the respect that you see a lot of transactions. uh, Primary, I mean, pretty much real estate transactions by nature of title. Uh, And I was so. But volume in general. Now, do you do you guys have any indication of pipeline of what's coming as well, or is it kind of well, in the moment? Well, title and escrow, we're a little bit behind the game mm-hmm. because the deal has been made, and then they bring it to us. Okay. And then 45, 60 days from now, that deal will close. The pipeline always needs to be full, or it won't be closing. Right. And so the new orders are the result of activity that happened, let's say, in December, early part of January. Those are coming to fruition. So then they will close and hopefully, obviously, more deals happening. Gotcha. So I bring all of this up simply to illustrate that by most people's measurement, the economy appears to be pretty strong. Okay. So I guess my first question to you generically is, 
Barry, do you think the economy is strong? I do. Okay. And and the why behind it, so it's not a, totally a yes-no question, because radio, you know. Uh, when we look out, very interesting political landscape right now. And again, not trying to pick sides here, but I investors are curious. Okay. What does this mean? And this is an election year. Is it a good year to invest? Does it have an impact on our investments? What should we be concerned or thinking about? Well, it's interesting. We had a closing where the people were taking some money out of an investment. They were short the money in middle part of December. And every day their portfolio is going up a couple thousand dollars. By the time they liquidated that particular account, they had enough money to purchase the, the house that they were looking for. But they wanted to keep waiting and take the 2,000-a-day growth, 2,000-a-day growth. Yet, when they got enough, someone wise to them said, hey, now's the time. Right. Because you're trying to buy a house. You're not trying to play the stock market. Well, and it's also, I think you bring up a really valid point is, at what point have you transitioned from investing to speculating? Exactly. And, and, and what was good for them is they accomplished their goal. The timing was perfect, but if it would have been December of last year, the timing would have been poor. Well, that's right. I had that exact experience for some folks. This may be relevant as a side note because uh, we just worked with some clients on this one. Uh, while I'm not, again, I'll admit, not a huge fan of these, there are a number of folks out there that have insurance contracts called annuities, right? And many of these annuities have what they call a, some form of guaranteed income or guaranteed withdrawal benefit associated with them. Oftentimes they have annual set points when they look at uh, the year's worth of returns, and then based on the year, the yearly value, they will establish whether or not there's been a new high watermark for the contract, and they will base the guarantees off of that high watermark. Uh, they typically base pricing off of it as well, so that's a, a, a often unknown caveat. But nonetheless, when that occurs really matters. If you had a December reset date, it would have been great in 2019, but it would have been terrible in 2018. So here we spend all this time saying, you know, it's not market timing. That's not what does it. And yet in this instance in insurance contracts, that can absolutely be what it is. <laughs> and to get back to your question about the economy, the economy was basically the same in December of 18 as it was in December of 19. Yet the commentary in the media was all about recession, inverse yield curves, all mm -hmm. those type of things, which was frightening people. Sure. And then through the summer months and employment gains kept happening, all of a sudden not as much chatter from the media. Uh, still some that wish, in my opinion, wish there's a recession. I mean, there's, there's some that try to talk us into it. Um, I know that there's some, I read something the other day that um, certain uh, investment firms that focus on short sales uh, had a challenging quarter. Right. Well, ask anybody that was, a, that was short Tesla as a stock how that worked out recently. But the basic economy has been about the same. It's right. the mood, the optimism, pessimism of it. But yet the stock market responds to the same data or maybe a little bit different data differently in two Decembers is what my, I guess my point is. Yep. So I, I still think that the economy is strong. If 
fundamentally there's a lot of good things happening employment's strong people are coming in off the who weren't working so that's one of the reasons the unemployment rate went up is that more people are seeking employment because they feel like there's jobs for them to seek right but if you're timing things to buy a house take the money out when you have it <laughs> yeah that i think that's the simple lesson is again hey it was is there's there's such a game as enough versus more and more is the more dangerous game than enough. <laughs> and and I, I think it's one of the things that you talk about so much is knowing what you want, the goals you're setting, work with a professional like David. Because if you take your eye off the ball and just play short-term things, you'll never get it right. Yeah, I, I, there's a bunch to it. Uh, as far, In fact, we just did a – we have a video now that we put out. It's a relatively short one on our YouTube channel if you have not checked that out. But uh, it does discuss the concept of how, how people benchmark their investments. And I think there's some real misconceptions about the way people even gauge performance, right? We tend to uh, – there's this concept. In fact, uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, we're running long on our first segment, so let's do this. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the difference between absolute and relative. And uh, again, we'll use that in this context of what is going on in this market and how should you as an investor be positioning yourself moving forward. So that and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. Barry Robinson. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where if you were just joining us, you've missed all of this quality entertainment and information and education. We have a podcast. You know, you can check all this out. So you can come back, go to littlejohnfs.com. We'll post it tomorrow about midday. It'll also be on 541radio.com. But we don't really promote that as much because, frankly, it's not associated with us. So at least I'm transparent and honest in our marketing effort, right? Which I think that's refreshing. Hey, let's go with that. Very refreshing. <laughs> so I, I really believe in transparency. Somebody one time asked me, gosh, you really are just very open about your, you know, how you're marketing, who your customer ought to be, and so forth, and that, and you know, why do you give so much of it away? And the the answer was very simple. I mean, there's a, only a handful of things that we don't give away in our business. You know, we have a few proprietary processes. We have some of our own artificial intelligence systems we use for investment management and selection and so forth. But we give away most everything, including the knowledge, on this show to our clients. And people say, well, why do you do that? There's all this value you should be capturing. And I kind of go, well, the Internet already gives it away, for one. right? So if they're, you can get it from lots of places. The Internet's going to give it away if you're willing to do the work. So there's no reason I shouldn't give it away because the people that work with us, they're just out of time and bandwidth. right? Our, my clients are smart. I know they're smart. They're just so doggone busy with the things that they're really 
invested in time-wise that they need somebody that's a strategic partner that they like, that they trust, that they can work with. And so it's, it's a win for both of us. They get time back in their life. We get a customer with a relationship that we enjoy. So that's why I, we give it away. Well, <laughs> like you said, the information's out there. Right. But they can't duplicate David Littlejohn. Right. And well, and it's, the reality is it's not David Littlejohn that's that important. I mean, you guys hear my voice on the radio a lot, and it's wonderful, and you know we're grateful for the, the support. But I got to tell you, the team of people that surround me is where the magic happens. We've got a good team. Everybody looks out for each other, and everybody has the same mission profile, which is we know what makes our business survive and is our clients. And that's everybody what I, gets it. And that's what I mean by you can't duplicate David Littlejohn. It's more than just regurgitating back information right so anyway shameless plug you know go check out the podcast or call our office and come visit us and we'll help with you specifically and again why uh, in our office 541-375-0898 see now katie will be like good job you plug the firm you did what you're supposed to uh but here's the thing i can't give you specific actionable advice I mean, I could probably tell you some generic, don't do these things, they're really stupid, but advice is uniquely customized for each person. It's not that the advice you would get is different than everybody else around the same subject matter, but there are really specific rules around how I communicate on air, for example. So we don't give specific advice. You've never heard me make a, a recommendation for a stock one way or the other, or to specifically say you need to go, you know, get this type of investment or this type of retirement plan or whatever it may be, because everybody's situation is unique to them. Uh, again, a lot of commonality in advice, but those are just rules about the way financial advisors need to work. So what you get is framework and you get things to consider on this program. And a lot of it is that sort of mental floss, if you will, right? It's like, we, all right, let's get out there and, you know, pick away at some of these topics and figure out uh, how things work. And that's getting back to my original point of the, at the beginning of the program, Barry, that this, this concept of what's going on politically and what does it, what does it mean for investors, right? Well, like we've spoken before, do ordinary, just good old Americans really care that much when they're looking at their investments of all the, again, the chatter of the politics. We just care about, is the economy strong? Is this a good company? Is it making money? Is it going to make money? Obviously, people have their biases towards which party is more beneficial to the market. But sure. over time, this country is phenomenal. This country grows. This country produces. Um, our country is the most productive country in the world. True, And it goes back to the people, our application of technology, our willingness to take risks. There's some built-in fundamentals of our country that allow each of us to be successful. And as long as those continue, we're going to be successful. I agree. I, I, fundamentally, I agree. And, and I love the way you phrase that because it's not about picking left, right, center, or otherwise. It's just saying there are underpinnings that are what America was founded on. Now, uh, one of them as an example is that we're a capitalist system. Okay? Now, I, believe it or not, will surprise a lot of people when I say, hey, I'm a capitalist. That is true. But I believe in something that I call ethical capitalism. Okay, Ethical capitalism does not destroy things around it just for the sake of profit. 
But I will cite, because here we are in Douglas County, uh, a great example is the timber industry, which by and large is, uh, I think, uh, as ethical as one can be, very responsible, because in essence, farming with a very long life cycle crop. Okay, so uh, much more aware than in the past and, and has learned from things like watershed management wasn't something that was originally a concern with the logging industry, but the logging industry self-corrected. It was good for itself to learn from a lack of watershed management and the erosion issues that came with it, and that's no longer an issue. Now, there are regulations and other things that have encouraged that because uh, there have been bad players in the past. But by and large, if you talk to a forester right, and a logger right now, you're not going to get what you think. It's right. not somebody that's interested in destroying their livelihood. <laughs> well, and that's a great point. In our founding, the 56 uh, founding fathers, the thing that's completely unique about the United States at that time is pr- private property. Mm-hmm. Up until we founded our country, there was some sort of monarchy or some ruling class, and the, and the people who were born in a station in that life stayed in that station. You could create some sort of little kingdom of your own through war or whatever, but for the most part, you stayed where you were born. And what our founding fathers did, which was unique to the world, is given us private property. And because private property is the cornerstone of our economy, we do look out for our own interest, which is a good thing. And because we're looking out for our own interest— we are better stewards of the land. We're better stewards of our businesses. If you own something, you have a stake in that, you want it to prosper. Like David just said, some people look short-term or they're bad actors or whatever, but over time to be successful, you have to look out for yourself, which is looking out for those around you. The, David was explaining how it's a team at Little John because he's looking out for all them, but at the end of the day, it's because it's in his best interest. It's his name on the door. If he has a great team, those players being successful makes David successful. And that private ownership is really key to our success in this country. And that's why in real estate, I love it because we are the, the guardians of private ownership. That is a really that's a great point and a great segue into you know the whole concept of title. And we've talked about that on the show before. I think it's something that is not widely understood by people. And I guess I'm 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 probably projecting a little bit because even me personally, I, I go, well, I mean, I know what title is. I realize that there's a process. There's a reason that insurance exists around these things to uh, make sure that in transition of title, that if anything <laughs> wasn't discovered that later is, that that's there to cover your backside, for lack of a better term here. Uh, and so I, I, I've learned a lot in the process. I've learned a lot from you, Barry. And in fact, you've I think been really valuable to our listeners when you've shared this before, but it is fascinating to me because ultimately that thread of ownership, which you see really directly. Now, I want to ask you uh, just a sort of side question on this one. How do do we own stuff, really? Well, that, and that's a good point. <laughs> We basically own the right to do something with stuff because the government does interfere in our life with regulations, rules, taxes, all kinds of things. You can own your home free of mortgage, but yet you still owe real estate taxes. You still owe assessments. 
you still can only do with your property certain things. Therefore, you don't have total control. Right. True ownership, I would say, is you could do anything that you want to do on your property whenever you want it. You can't really do that. But that's right. okay because, again, we're looking out for the, 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 the goodness of the whole community. And some restriction is a good thing. That, for that's, the most part in this country, we own things more freely than anywhere else in agreed. the world. Agreed. I really yeah, agreed. So I'm not trying to pick on you or anything because that really goes back to my original point of ethical capitalism is sort of like ethical property ownership is that you really get the right to control the vast majority of what goes on there. But there are still some parameters, right? You're not allowed to poison the water that goes downstream from you. Okay, because then it affects your neighbor. Right. And that really is the core of the philosophy of this country anyway, right? Um, it's the idea that you should get maximum personal liberty provided that it does not negatively impact somebody else's personal liberty, right? And there's gray area there, right? It's a funny expression. They, also, they say, look, you, you know, you have the right to free speech until you yell fire in a theater. Exactly. Right? Uh, you have the right to punch somebody. Uh, right up to the time that you take the swing. It's when you hit them that you lose the right. You Unless know? you do it in self-defense, then it's another Well, example. and then they've already ceded a right because exactly. they've violated yours, right? So it's it's an interesting concept. But uh, And I know for most of our listeners, again, we're lucky, right? We're lucky on this show because we have smart listeners. So that, that that's better, right? So thank you, smart listeners out there. The other reason we're lucky is because I think, generally speaking, our listeners, many of them have had some civics education. I don't know that we get that the same way we used to. Right. So uh, we could talk for a long time about the dangers of that, but we're kind of going down the rabbit hole of less relevant to the investment philosophy on this one. So we've got this backdrop now of private ownership, and now we're I'm going to get right down to the nitty-gritty. I've got a really direct question to ask you, Barry. Okay, And the direct question is, do you think that the election will influence the value of the stock market after November? But you can't answer until after the break. <laughs> so he's over there going, don't! <laughs> so stick around. We want to hear Barry's opinion on this, and you may just get a little bit of mine, too. Does the election sway the stock market? That and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Barry Robinson. Right on cue. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. <laughs> I'm laughing, killing myself over here. Just making dumb jokes to Barry off, off idea. Uh, welcome back to the True Well Show. Dave Little John in studio with Mr. Barry Robinson. And we're having a good time talking about the taboo subject of the day. And again, check out the podcast if you need to at littlejohnfs.com. You can get the rest of the backstory on this show. But it's I'm about to get real because I asked Barry a very point blank question right before break, which was, Barry, do you think the election is going to influence the stock market? 
It can in the short term. My personal biases would say depending on which candidate wins the presidency will affect but as long as the fundamentals of the country are in place, the capitalist system that we have in place, over time, America always wins. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. Short-term elections, we feel that pain. People make reactions to those which are more emotional than, than clear-headed. I do think the presidency matters. But long-term, the capitalist system that we have is what will drive the, the stock market up or down. All right. So I've had this conversation before, and if you're a longtime listener, there are some things that you'll have heard me say before. As an example, uh, the stock market is simply you're purchasing future earnings expectations, right? It's the future value that you're estimating a company to be worth its future income stream. That's really what people are purchasing. And so when you get really into the valuation techniques, you can be as simple as, eh, I think it's going to be worth more in the future. I'll buy that. Okay, that's pretty rudimentary. But uh, the analysts that really get into it are saying, okay, well, let me look at all the variables within the company, try to project the profits. Let me try to account for inflation. Let me try to look at those over time and anticipate where things are going, future product lines and so forth. And using that and historical context of the industry that that particular company may be in and what others have been willing to pay, try to extrapolate a value. And they can get very, very scientific in terms of the 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 model is what they call it, but it's really like a math problem, right? Let me put all the variables into the math problem and try to squirt out a value at the end of this thing and project into the future, okay? And then what happens is as the variables become known with time, they update their model and it changes their projections, right? Are they ahead of schedule? Are they behind and so forth? So that's what the stock market is doing. But I like your approach, Barry, because I think that investors should take that longer term look at things. Now, that does not mean that just because you buy something and you're willing to hold it long term, it's a good investment, right? I think horse and buggy manufacturers could tell you that. Exactly. Right? Uh, I do think that it means that good quality companies that are competitive have long range prospects that look strong and beneficial by virtue of where they are playing, right? I mean, the United States as a fundamental haven of capital is really attractive. And that system looks really attractive. Well, you mentioned Warren Buffett earlier. Uh, he's many times said that he doesn't pay attention to tax policy, to the politics of the day. He wants net cash. So he looks at companies with good management that over time will throw off excess cash, basically. Yeah. And, and once he identifies those, he goes all in and he rarely sells. Right. Um, it, it's true. Warren Buffett is a buyer of entire companies in many cases uh, or large stakes. Uh, it is interesting. You know, they had a large stake in Bank of America. They purchased it for below $2 a share. It's currently trading somewhere in the mid $30 range. They're trimming that position finally, right? And that uh, presumably is because he's saying, well, I think that the banking system may be fully valued or looks less attractive as a long-term investment right now. But Bank of America is one of the key players. Now, I want to point out a handful of things within this construct that I think is interesting, Barry. I think that capitalism is a concept very, very important for folks to understand. And long-term investing, we need to keep in mind one key premise, 
And again, I don't say this is investment advice, but I do say this is important food for thought for all investors. If the system fails, your money is worthless anyway. Okay, this is what I call the end of the world trade. Okay, if the world comes to an end, then you should be doing what? Stockpiling guns and whiskey because at least it's tradable. It's anesthetizing, and uh, in a pinch, you can defend yourself to keep it if you just need to keep the whiskey around, right? So there's a lot of utility function to that asset base, if you will. But if you believe that the system is so big that it will be saved by all players involved, which I am more likely to make that wager personally, because if the United States goes down, everybody goes down right now. Because every country in the world is using the U.S. dollar as sort of their reserve currency. Then the end of the world trade is sort of a silly trade to make. Right? Now, I'm not telling you, you know, if you're a prepper out there and you're like, that's going to happen. I can't talk you out of that. But I'm telling you it's impractical as an investor to use that as your backdrop or your assumption that the system will in fact fail. Because if it's if it if you believe it will fail, why are you investing anyway? That's my point. So you have to look at the system. Now I want to ask you a question that I think is on people's mind. And Barry, I realize I'm going to catch you flat-footed on this one. One of the concerns that I have, he won't really be flat-footed. Barry's probably way ahead of me on this. But one of the concerns that I have about the system at large, and it's a concern not based on a specific president or a specific regime, but is on a trend that I see continuing and because it's politically expedient, but I think it's unsustainable. And that is the escalation, not just in deficit spending, but the actual debt that our country is incurring. I would agree. That's been a concern of mine for a number of years. So the question is, is there a point that you think that the debt could get so large that our, it endangers us on a systemic level? Well, at some point, there's only so much money in the world, even though we print it. Uh, again, who loans us the money? So we went from 10 years ago or 11 years ago, let's say, of $4 trillion in debt. Then we got to 8 Then we got to 20 in a very short period of time. Right. And now we're a little over 21 Right. And at some point with the economy, our assets total will not match our debt. It's just like, again, well, when you go to the bank to borrow money, they want a margin between the house price and what you're borrowing. They want some sort of yes. reserve in there. And if you're borrowing more than what you your house is worth, you're kind of upside down. You're in a mess. Yeah. Now, let's be really clear for all of our listeners for a minute, because, again, I know you're you know these numbers too, Barry. The United States has currently more debt than GDP. Okay, let's be gross domestic product is if you took all the all of the activity of business and industry in the country in the United States, and you totaled up the value of that, and then you compared it to the total amount of debt that the country has outstanding. Okay, we have more debt outstanding now than we have gross domestic product in one year of production. Okay. Because our GDP is somewhere, I think, either just shy or just over 18 trillion a year now. But our debt is a little over 21 trillion. Okay. And the debt has been growing faster than GDP as far as the, the numbers and percentages go. So generally speaking, economists are concerned with that. Okay. That's what led to sort of Greece having a real problem. 
right? When you when your debt to GDP gets out of whack. But there's another consideration here that looks very different for the United States than most European countries, okay? Because most European countries have European pension programs that are more robust than Social Security, okay? Most. Uh, the debt compared to the total assets of the United States, uh, it's the assets of the United States are pretty staggering. <laughs> right. When, when you look at what is the value of the country and you go, wow, uh, I don't even, I'm going to pull this up right now. But you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's, well, it's we don't often look terms at it that too. Way. So if you wanted to, let's say a person made $1,000 a month and their house payment was 400 that leaves them 600 to live on. That might be kind of tight. But if you make $100,000 a month in that same percentage, you have $40,000 a month in payments. You still have right. $60,000 to live on. Right. And so the U.S. versus Greece, Greece has $600 to live on. The U.S. has 60000 to live on. Right. And so I just pulled this up for the sake of novelty. Uh, now, this is old. Wow. I, I want to know how how much is the United States worth? Let's say 2019. That's better. Um, yeah, but it still looks like $225 trillion last time it was tallied up, and that was in 2013. Um, and I've seen a number number here. It looks like two hundred sixty nine point six trillion. That one's a little bit more recent, but uh, that gives you a quick idea. Oh, okay. Well, because you know what we don't consider. I realize that a lot of Americans don't have retirement plans, but many do. Right. Right. And many have you have homes and other assets. And if you just look at the total value, it's a lot. Uh, this, of course, is there's a danger to that because politicians look at that and go, oh, money to seize. Some oh, more well, radical. Right. right? In, in like last year, uh, tax revenue was a record number mm -hmm. increased by four or five percent from the previous year. Yet we continue to spend more than we bring in. Yeah. And that's, that's another fundamental issue with the state of Oregon. It has record tax revenue, but they want more tax revenue. Uh, yes. So it's a spending issue, not an income issue. And therein lies the rub. So we're, we're, all right. I want to address the spending issue. You know, how do we fix that? But we got to take our last break. Okay. So we'll grab the last break. We'll see if um, Ken Fisher is going to try to advertise. Honestly, I, I'm super flattered that, um, you know, they're, they're like, we better get on that program because they know you guys listen and are smart. So, all right. Look, we got to run. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn, Barry Robinson. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, I guess that's the music. We're back for the home stretch of the True Wealth Radio Show. This is David Littlejohn with me live in studio today, Mr. Barry Robinson. Thank you, David. And I love to do this for our guests. So this is your chance to plug Ameritidal a little bit. Um, I know you guys are, you're one of my favorite title companies because you actually do the work. 
right? Like yes, here, we're locally, very proud where we do our work locally with local Douglas County employees. Where other title companies in our county outsource to other counties, states, and one outsources to foreign countries. So we're very proud that we uh, do our work here. We're a, a large company owned by a family, and we have great resources, but we pride ourselves in our community involvement, our community giving, and in having employees here that are experts that can take care of the job. Yeah. So there you guys go. If you're in the, the real estate transaction market, that's kind of the little plug there for Ameritidal. And people and don't realize, or a lot of times they get poor information, the choice of the title company is your choice. Yeah, it's the buyer's choice. It's not the realtor, it's not the lender, it's your choice. Now we have great real estate professionals in our county who will guide you, but at the end of the day, when you wanna choose a title company, you could say, I want Ameritidal and it should come to a merit title. Right. Uh, I have done so. <laughs> I will say yes. that, you know, this is, uh, I have, you know, when, when I, when I, uh, you're supposed to disclose, right? That's part of, you know, if you're going to give financial advice, you need to disclose a conflict. If there was such a thing as a conflict, which I don't see how it would be, but nevertheless, I have used and been pleased with a merit title, right? And so Barry's taking Thank good you. care of me. Um, Again, I have good people like you do. Yes, yeah. Well, and let's say Barry has directed me to his talented people. I mean, you're sort of, I mean, you're there, right? I'm a pretty face. <laughs> no, they really are a great team. So I uh, just wanted to get, wave the flag a little bit for you guys. Uh, anyhow, getting back to kind of the, the, the last thought that I want to share about politics. And this is one that uh, I will make no qualms about the fact that I'm probably showing some bias here, okay? And we probably agree, Barry. We do. Which is, I really believe in the underpinnings of what America is all about, okay? I like the idea that we all get to do a lot of what we want to do, okay? You're, you're not forced into one religious area or another, one belief structure or another. You really get to do a lot of what makes you happy. You can pursue your own career path. You can do, you know, there's so much variety and, and available options in this country. And I think that's fantastic. And again, this underlying concept of personal ownership, but not just of assets, but this, you know, the consequences that come with it. I think that's a really significant key component to why investing in the United States works and why it works through different political regimes and you know the, the is it the democrats is it republicans is it somebody else whatever it is it's continuously survived and ultimately the ship has there have been corrections but it's it's always found a way back out because people are creative and they are in a sense self-serving but if they are ethically self-serving then we are all going to win as a unit here's the danger to me right the danger is when you start getting a political ideology that says we don't need private ownership, right? That really terrifies me. And it may not come out directly, but this is the one that I hear, and this has been going around for years, but there are some fairly radical politicians, and I say radical not as a term left or right, but I'm talking about the concept here. There are folks that say, you know, Social Security is a third rail of politics. You can't mess with it. And so they say, well, let's not mess with Social Security. But there's been discussion about whether or not 
employer retirement plans, for example, like 401k plans, should be federalized, right? They should just be considered a federal retirement plan. They're no longer offered by the employer. The contributions can be mandated, so employer must contribute to it. And then they'll just sort of take and seize those assets, include them in the social security system, and voila, the system is solvent. It may sound attractive on paper. That is really terrifying to me. And to me. Be- and, and, and the answer is, why? I mean, why, why does it scare you, Barry? Well, again, it's been proven over time that government control of an asset is the worst yielding asset there is. If, if they were to take my ownership and, let, and take away my freedom, because, again, my individual self-preservation will allow me to be better, and I'll make better decisions, which, again, equates to the entire economy. If we're all making better decisions, the entire economy grows better. If, if an elite group or small group of government people get to dictate, they're not smarter than your, re, your listeners here. They're not smarter than you or I. Right. They will not make better decisions, and they're not making them in the collective good for me. They, they are making them in the collective good of authoritarian power. Right. And this is, this is the same reason that I believe, even though I don't want the secondhand smoke in my world, if you want the right to smoke, I kind of go, well, it's America. You get that right. It may not be the best health decision for you, but if that's the decision about what you want for your life, provided that I don't have to pay for it, and there's a whole weird deal when you start getting into socialized medicine around that, but you, you get that right. That's what America is about. You can do those things. And every now and then we say broadly, like, well, no, you can't, right? You know, certain drugs, can't have them. And there's a lot of reasons for it, usually because as soon as you do that, you hurt somebody else, right? So that's the biggie. But nevertheless, here's back to my original point. If we were to say, let's just take workplace retirement plans and we'll just throw them into the Social Security system, what do those workplace retirement plans own primarily? Mutual funds. Mutual funds, right. Mutual funds. And, And the majority of those mutual funds own stocks from the stock market. And how do stocks work? They're actually, there's another nickname for stocks. They call them equities. Now, equity is a term you've heard before, especially if you're a homeowner or you're attempting to become a homeowner and you've got a mortgage, right? The part that belongs to you is the equity. The part that does not is the balance, right? The equity is ownership. If you own stocks, you actually own companies. You, you can have fractional ownership with everybody else. If the government takes over the retirement plan, they're in effect saying, well, we'll take over the ownership. And that to me is, while you may consider it a stretch, that's an arm's length now control. That That's, that's sort of a seizure of private property. Well, one of the great examples in the last 20 years is Venezuela, where they had a thriving oil industry. And the government took those assets from private companies, Exxon, Chevron, whomever they were, and now they have a deteriorated, depressed, non-functioning oil industry, and their people are poorer for it. Right. Um, And again, you could say all day long that big monster companies like that are just looking out for corporate greed, but those individual shareholders, you and I, are the ones that dictate their success. And if they own the asset and they're trying to provide a return to us, they're going to make better decisions. If the government of Venezuela owns it, they don't care. Exactly. Well, I think that's a great point to end on, Barry. And uh, 
So look, we'll, we'll have to do that because I hear the music and it's time to go. So anyway, uh, for those of you that want more, feel free to reach out to us. As always, uh, Little John Financial Services at 541-375-0898 or Ameritidal at... 541-672-6651. All right, we're out of time. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn and Barry Robinson. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.